0: The Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 7 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. Those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. And threw himself into the sea, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the full net of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. One hundred and fifty three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself revealed to the disciples was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one whom had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord. Who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, Lord, what about him, this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that, say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who was bearing witness about these things, and it was written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we come before you in the majestic name of your Son, The one in whom salvation is found and in him it is found alone. Lord, we ask this morning that as we come to the conclusion of this glorious book, inspired by your spirit, that you would give us listening ears, Lord. That you would give us softened hearts that we may believe. That you may give us understanding minds, Lord. And that you would give us, Lord, feet to act, God, we pray that you would have your way through this sermon. Lord, and I pray that you would use me for your glory and for your honor. I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you and you alone can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning, that your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear you. And they, Lord, through your word, would see you. Let this be done, Father, for the glory of God and for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Please do excuse me as I wrestle with this here. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us on this Lord's Day as we come to the final verses, the final moments of the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. We saw last time how the Holy Spirit inspired the beloved Apostle John to give us, his church, one last chapter to tell of how great, how glorious, and how marvelous is our Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples are back on familiar grounds, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other unnamed disciples are back in Galilee, obeying the command of Christ to meet him there. Yet upon arrival, our Lord Jesus Christ is nowhere to be found, the disciples are forced to do what is Most unnatural and most uncomfortable for sinful people to do, to wait. We learned that they're waiting and that our waiting was ordered and ordained by God. For it is while we wait that the Lord graciously weans us, separates us from our dependence upon ourselves. And we learn what it is to depend upon God. We learn That we learn more about God and we grow closer to God in our waiting times than in our possessing times. As these disciples wait, Simon Peter in verse 3 says, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. These men toiled all night long. All the way until daybreak. And yet caught nothing. And we learned that there is much grace in empty nets. These men had learned the the valuable lesson that night. That we would do well to take heed of in our own lives. That we alone, by ourselves, cannot fill our own nets. There is nothing outside of, of Christ that we can find satisfaction in. There is no one but in Christ that we can find our solace, our peace, and our joy but Christ. Just as day was breaking, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore. The Lord Jesus was redirecting the fish out of the disciples' nets. And he calls out to to the disciples a question that he already knows the answer to. Children, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? And they responded, as we said last week, with a pitiful, no, we have nothing. Fishermen, professionals... Fishing all night, fishing all night and all of their lives on this sea. And yet they were unable to fill their own nets. He answered to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They had been brought to the end of themselves and now with empty nets They obey the command of Christ. The disciples rely upon this stranger on the shore. And their nets are filled in such a way that they could have never accomplished on their own. We learned that dependence upon the Lord is not for those 85% of things that you and I are not very good at. Or those spiritual things that you and I cannot do. But if we are going to live lives as disciples of Christ, we must learn to live in complete and utter dependence on him for everything that we do. Verse 7, The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Who else could fill our nets in such a way? Peter, it's him. It's him. It's the Lord Jesus. The disciple whom Jesus loved was given eyes to perceive. And he perceives and declares, It is the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we conclude this chapter this morning, I have just three points that I believe are highlighted within the rest of this chapter. Let us begin with number one, the shame of sin and the uselessness of covering ourselves. The shame of sin and the uselessness of covering ourselves. Verse seven, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. For he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. As the disciples miraculously caught this great catch of fish, there was one man in the boat who had an immediate sense of the glory of that moment. The beloved disciple, John, perceived with eyes that only God can give. It is the Lord. And while one disciple is given by the grace of God, eyes to perceive, another disciple is given by the grace of God, feet to respond, feet to act. And we must thank God that he has given such gifts to the church for its advancement and for its strength. There are those who have been given by the grace of God perception and wisdom. and then there are those who have been given by the faith, by the grace of God, feet. And to move and both are necessary in the kingdom of God for the advancement of the kingdom. While the beloved Apostle John understands that it is the Lord, Simon Peter prepares himself to go to him. But will you notice what Simon Peter does before he makes his way to the Lord? The Bible says in verse seven, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment For he was stripped for work and then he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards. When they got out of land, out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. The beloved Apostle John tells us that Simon Peter must have been or was fishing naked. More likely... Simon Peter was fishing with a loincloth wrapped around his waist. Upon hearing the words, it is the Lord, Simon Peter responds in in an apparently strange way. He gets dressed to go into the water. The last time Simon Peter had experienced such a miraculous catch of fish, his response was to fall down on his knees before the Lord Jesus Christ, begging him to depart on account of his great sins. The last time Simon Peter had been in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was warming himself in the courtyard of the high priest before a charcoal fire, calling down curses on himself, denying the Lord Jesus Christ, thrice denying the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not know the man. I am not that man's disciple. And as the rooster crowed that night, The eyes of our Lord met the eyes of his denier. And it was as if the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to Simon Peter with his eyes, Simon, Simon, have I not warned you that Satan's desire was to sift you as wheat? Simon, Simon, have I not warned you that you will deny me three times that you know me? Simon, Simon, do I not know you better than you know yourself? And what was the response of this strong man who denied the Lord? What was the response of this strong man who boasted in Matthew 26, though they all fall away because of you? I will never deny you. I will not deny you. What was his response when his eyes met the eyes of the one that he denied? It is a response. It was a response that you and I Sadly know all too well. It is a response of any true disciple who truly loves God and yet often fails to live up to that profession. Matthew twenty six seventy five, he, Simon Peter, went out and he wept bitterly. Dear ones, have you tasted the bitterness of sin? Have you ever? tasted the bitterness of sin. We have no doubt in our hearts and in our minds that we do love Jesus and yet time and time again our actions deny our professions. Have you in your own denials of Christ known the awful pain and the awful shame of weeping bitterly through the night as you wrestle with the reality that you've sinned against the lover of your soul in a way that you could have never foreseen In yourself, have you ever been there? Have you experienced the lingering effects of the shame of sin? Have you, like the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, ever lamented, Oh wretched man that I am! Oh contemptible man that I am! What a wretch! I am but a wretch! Have you been there? Do you know what it is to taste the bitterness of sin? Simon Peter knew the bitterness of sin and its guilt all too well. The last time Jesus appeared to his disciples, it was twice after his resurrection, but it was in a group setting. Simon Peter is now, for the very first time, about to have his first one-on-one encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he does again. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment. Upon hearing of Christ's presence on the shore, Simon Peter fully clothes himself as he prepares to meet the one for whom he boasted he would lay down his life. And again, he does something peculiar, doesn't he? He does the opposite of what we would normally do when we jump into the water. Rather than taking clothes off, he put clothes on. And there was something about his nakedness that caused Simon Peter to feel exposed. The lingering sense of guilt, the lingering sense of shame that must have filled the mind of this man who thrice denied that the Lord Jesus Christ. He will present himself to the Lord, but he will present himself covered. And it is a scene that is reminiscent of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who hid from God, covering their nakedness, covering their shame. Because of their own disobedience. Brothers and sisters, this is the result of our sin before holy God. We work, we toil, we fail. And we attempt to hide our shame. But it is a fool's errand to hide from the one who knows all and who sees all. It is a fool's errand to cover ourselves from the one who knows the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts psalm thirty one thirty nine one O Lord, you have searched me, and you known me, you know when I sit down, and you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, wonderful for me, it is too high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Have you ever attempted to hide from God? Dear ones, avoiding the assembling of the saints, abstaining from the fellowship of the believers will not cause your iniquity to be concealed from God. He knows all. He sees all. You cannot hide yourselves among the trees as our first parents did. There is nothing that is covered that will not be revealed. For our God, he sees your frame. He knows your frame. He knows that you and I are but dust. Peter will come to Christ. He will come with all of his sin, with all of his shame. But listen, he will come. And why will he come? The Lord Jesus has already told us. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Simon Peter will come to Christ because he belongs to Christ. He is sinful. He is in shame. He is trying to cover himself, but he is still coming to Christ because he belongs to him. He hearkens to the voice of his Savior and he will not and cannot resist his master's call. He, by the sovereign grace of God, Knows the voice of his shepherd. And he will come. The Lord Jesus Christ will not lose any. Not one of his sheep. He will lose none. Though they stray. Though they wander. They will. Because they are his. They will return. None shall be snatched out of his hand. He will keep them all. Preserve them all. Until the very end. To God be the glory for that. There is sin There is shame, but you will come. And when you come, what happens? Number two, the grace of Christ in restoring wayward sheep. Oh, the grace of Christ in restoring wayward sheep. Look at verse nine. When they got out on land. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and sowed the fish. This was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. But look on. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was screaming because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. These men. Had been toiling all night. And when they come to land, what do they see? They see breakfast. John MacArthur says, You know how the Lord makes breakfast? Breakfast. For them. They did not need to provide for him. He provided for them. He supplied breakfast for them. And the scene is significant for all of the disciples, each in their own way. Yet for one of the disciples, this scene was most significant. The beloved Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he notes that breakfast was there on a charcoal fire. There are only two places in all of scripture where there is a reference to a charcoal fire. One right here at this breakfast. And the other in John 18 when Peter was warming himself before a charcoal fire as he was preparing to deny his Lord three times. And as Peter was the first to arrive on the shore clothes dripping wet maybe a mixture of joy and shame filling his soul he arrives at the shore of the Sea of Galilee the visitor by the shore the Lord Jesus Christ has now set the scene for him he's prepared breakfast on a charcoal fire Peter is well aware of his sin he is well aware of his shame but what is the approach of our Lord to those who have sinned against him? They all sinned against him. All together they sinned against him. They all abandoned him. What to these men who had all sinned against him? He makes them breakfast. Lord, help me. If you're listening online, our apologies... He makes them breakfast. He calls Simon Peter and the others to break their fast. Do you know that's the true meaning of breakfast? To break fast? You have been fasting all night. Come and break your fast. You have been working all night. You have been toiling all night. He bids them, come. Rest from your efforts. Come. Commune. And fellowship with me. Our Lord bids his disciples. As he bids all those who place their trust in him alone. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. The disciples come. And the Lord commands. Verse 10. Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter hauled the net ashore. How many fish? 153. Simon Peter must have been a very strong man. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, throughout the ages, many commentators have offered their theories on the meaning of 153 fish. I can go through all of the different mathematical equations that would seem very spiritual and very high-minded. Each interesting. But the clearest meaning of the 153 fish is simply this, that the disciples caught 153 fish. They were all accounted for. You fishermen know, those of you who have fished, you're going to tell however many you caught. You'll know the exact number, won't you? They were all accounted for, though they were many. The net did not break. They were all brought to the shore before Christ, just as the disciples were called by Christ. Though they wavered, though they failed, time and time again, they belonged to Christ and they would come to him. Not one would be lost. The net would not break and they would not escape. No, they would come to him. The gospel net will never break. No matter how many converts it captures, and we pray they are, they are in the, the, the billions and more. There is no limit to the number that God, by His grace, will save through the Lord Jesus Christ. No, the nets will not be broken. The Lord Jesus says, Come, have breakfast to these men who have denied Him. These men who have abandoned Him. Sit around this charcoal fire. And what do you think, they said? Nothing. Silence, eerie silence, if you will. No one dared say a word, not even the one who always had something to say, Simon Peter. Not a word. Verse 12, no one dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Was it because the Lord Jesus Christ had an appearance that was otherworldly that the disciples could not recognize him? Was it because the disciples just could not wrap their minds around the fact this man was just brutally murdered and now he's sitting with us eating and drinking? I'm sure it was all of that. I'm sure it was all of that and so much more. They were awed and at the same time solemnized by his presence. The deep sense of amazement mixed, I'm sure, with the deep sense of embarrassment and fear and reverence. Isn't no wonder that they all sat in silence. Have you ever sat with your parents at the dinner table when you have failed or made a huge mistake? Or sat with your wife or your husband at the dinner table when you've made a huge mistake? Are you chatty in those moments? No, you cannot wait for that dinner to be over. The Lord Jesus had come, though, as a surgeon. To perform heart work on the lives of his disciples. And there was one though. There was one who was in desperate need of immediate heart surgery. Simon Peter. It appears at some point after breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter to come and walk with him. Because we see that Simon Peter will turn around. And see the beloved Apostle John following them. As the Lord Jesus walks with Simon Peter. He begins to ask him questions that he already knows the answers to. And our Lord comes as the great and skillful physician who stirs up the grief of this denying disciple. He comes and he pricks the conscience of this man to teach him a solemn lesson. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Is that not what Peter had professed? Even if all deserts you, I will never desert you because I love you so much more. Whether the Lord meant, do you love me more than these other disciples? Whether the Lord meant, do you love me more than fishing? None of that is of any consequence. The question stands. Peter, your boast was this. Nothing rivals my love for you. Nothing. I love you more than all. So Simon, son of John. The offense has been made, and the question remains, do you love me? Simon Peter asked three times, do you love me? And it was as if our Lord was asking Peter, have you learned of your own weaknesses? It was as if, it was as if our Lord was telling the Lord, telling Peter, have you learned not to be too overconfident? Have you learned not to boast in your own strengths? Simon Peter, do you love me? There is no doubt that the Apostle John wants to see that Peter was grieved when he was asked a third time. Why? Because brothers and sisters, listen to me closely, restoration always involves the painful process of getting back to where you started. That's painful, isn't it? There have been so many in my 18 years of ministry that I've heard say, I'm just trying to get back to where I was. I know that I messed up, but I'm just trying to get back there. And the pain and the agony that I see on their hired faces as they labor, just trying to get back to where they first began. And I sometimes wonder, where is that place? What is? is that place that you're trying to get back to where is it what is it it is the place that Jesus is calling Simon to at that particular moment it is the place that Jesus called the church of Ephesus to return to it is the place that he bids all who for whatever reason walk away from their fellowship and communion with God he bids them all to do what to remember their first love Revelation four. remember, you've abandoned your first love. Remember, come back. Remember, therefore, you've fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. Come back to your first love. Simon Peter, come back. Our Lord stands, as it were, at the door of the hearts of his sheep. And he calls them, return home. Return home. And the road back begins with a simple question. Do you love me? Do you love me? We may know much. We may do much, profess much, give much, make much of our own religion and yet still be dead before God. How? For absence of love for God. Do you love Christ? J.C. Ryle says, and I thought this was a beautiful quote. We are but lifeless, stuffed beasts in museums without love. You ever go into the museums? We have a small one here on Chester. You stand before lions. You stand before beasts that if you could in real life, they they would tear you to pieces, but you stand before them. And though they are intimidating, they are empty. They are lifeless brothers and sisters we are but a sounding brass without love we are but a clanging cymbal without love what do you notice about the Lord's approach to restoration what do you notice about the way back yes it begins with the question do you love me but notice that the destination to restoration was not hurried notice my dear brothers and sisters We are too often in a hurry. And because of our impetuous natures, we often rush our restoration. And therefore, we do not often experience the deep-seated heart work of permanent transformation. Permanent transformation that our Lord performs on the hearts of His own. Because we want to rush through it. We just want to get there so quickly. So our Lord, He leads Simon Peter gently. Patiently to repentance and forgiveness. Our Lord displays love. He displays patience with Simon Peter as he performs surgery on his heart. He does not rush into that surgery, he does not come in, cut him up, patch him up, send him out, bring in the next one. But he is the careful, loving, patient physician. Our Lord invites Simon Peter and the others who all together again denied him. He invites them, come, commune with me. Come and break your fast. All together you have sinned. And besides Judas Iscariot, there was maybe no other disciple who was more ashamed than Simon Peter, the denier of Christ. But our Lord, he does not rush into the obvious offenses, does he? He does not sit them down and say, now, listen. Listen. What you did was wrong. He sits with them. Are you listening? He sits with them. You'll get there. The offenses will come up. But for now, you've come back. You're here. And I am so overjoyed by your presence, and we'll get to your sin. They will be addressed. But he is not so offended by them, those who abandoned him. He's not so offended by those who have abandoned him. He's not so offended that he can at least sit down and fellowship with them. What about you? There are times when we want to relocate churches because of a small offense. Our Lord displays for us patience, love. And I believe he gives us a clear example of what Matthew 18 really looks like in practical nature. When a brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Notice how patient our Lord sits with these men. He's their shepherd. And they are his sheep. He knows them and will stop at nothing to restore them to a right relationship. He could have very well come, exposed their offenses in great detail, causing greater distances and higher walls between them. But that's not what he does. Our great loving shepherd eliminates distances. Our great loving shepherd brings down walls and mercifully draws or hauls his disciples in by his love and by his grace. Why? So that we may see that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And that we, brothers and sisters, may follow that example when we are confronted with conflict and offenses. And you will be confronted with conflict and offenses. Why? We're sinful people. We behave in simple ways. But our sinfulness should never prevent us from restoring right relationships. If, if, circle if in your mind, if we are people who keep the gospel of grace ever before our eyes. Simon son of John do you love me more than these the answer came from the lips of the humble apostle yes Lord oh put yourself in his shoes yes Lord you know that I love you yes Lord I do albeit weakly Albeit poorly, albeit fearfully, and often ignorantly, unstable. But yet at any rate, it is real and it is sincere. Yes, Lord, I do love you. Is that not the truth? The truth for many of us as well. Ask me whether I am regenerated. The meaning of grace. Ask me about my election, my adoption. As one of his own. And perhaps I may not know the answer. (laughs) But ask me whether or not I love Christ. Oh, and the response will be, I do. Yes, I do. Weakly, poorly, ignorantly unstable. And often not as I should, but I do love him. What is the great secret of loving Christ? Dear ones, the great secret... Is not so much a secret, but it is the knowledge of having received great grace from Christ and pardon of your sins. That is the great secret that is not so much a secret of loving Christ. Those who love much are those who have been forgiven much. He came, He died, the death that we deserved. He took our sins upon his shoulders. And we now experience the blessedness of free and full pardon. The one whose heart is full of love toward the Savior is the one who recognizes the sin that the Savior has carried for us. Dear ones, the pathway home is very sore, is it not? It's very difficult, but when the Lord restores you, listen, you would have it no other way. You would not have a cheap grace, brothers and sisters. You would not have a quick return or even a quick fix. No, Don't give me cheap grace. Make it costly. Make it hurt. That way I will value it. My mother said something to me about something that she gave to someone and how they have abused it and taken advantage of it. And I said, because they didn't pay for it. When you pay for it, you care for it. I remember being a young boy. My dad would say to me, "You uh, uh, save half for those pair of Jordans, and I'll pay the other half." My God, I treasured those things as if they were gold because I worked for them. Rather, you would have a savor, a savior, and you would savor the patience of the savior. As he takes his time restoring you and bringing you to a place of health, spiritual health with him. You would appreciate the the intricacies that he took as he did heart surgery in your life. You appreciate that. Why? Again, so that you will have permanent change. Permanent change. If after I broke my Achilles, I was back at my doctor's within a month. I would sue my doctor. What did you do to me? But by the grace of God, I can now run because he took his time. Thou knowest the way to bring me back. Thou knowest the way to bring back my fallen spirit to restore. Oh, for thy truth and mercy's sake, forgive me and forgive me sin no more. The ruins of my soul repair and make this heart a house of prayer. But how does that hymn begin? Thou knowest the way to bring my fallen spirit to restore. The answer comes from the lips of Simon Peter. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. When you come to him now, there is a call. And we will conclude with this. The call to feed and the call to die. We have sinned. We have shame. We come. He restores. But he does not just leave you there. He calls you to action. And he calls you to die. Verse 17. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one whom he leaned back against during the supper. And he said, Lord, and and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to, to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. The three times that our Lord says, do you love me? Simon Peter says, yes. The Lord's response was feed. Feed my flock. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Notice that our Lord does not call Simon, not only calls Simon Peter to repentance, but he also calls Simon Peter to action. The Lord Jesus Christ commissions Simon Peter, do the work of an apostle. Fishing for fish is no longer your future. As our Lord said when he first called him, you will now be fishing for men. And brothers and sisters, dear ones, the grand test of our love for Christ is our service to Christ in feeding his sheep. The grand test of our love to Christ is our service to Christ in And feeding his sheep. Isaiah pointed out a marvelous fact a few weeks ago. The way that you know that your elders love you. Is by the truth that they labor each week. Each week to teach you. That's how you know that we love you. Not because we're best friends. Let me tell you something. We will not be best friends. My calling to you is not to be your best friend. It is to feed you. And it is to shepherd you. Peter The way that you will prove your love to Christ is by shepherding his flock, by shepherding those who come to him alone for salvation. Shepherd souls, minister to sheep, care for the sheep, do good to the sheep, seek out lost sheep with the gospel of God's free grace to undeserved sinners. This call is not isolated only to Peter. It is for all who call upon the name of Christ. You have been given a great commission to go and make disciples. All who have trusted in Christ alone. He is calling you. Feed his sheep. And just six weeks later, in the book of Acts... When Simon Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, it must have appeared as if men were leaping into his nets, if you will. As the multitudes repented of sin and were baptized in the name of Christ, they were leaping into that gospel net. The Lord not only calls Simon to repent, but he calls him to serve. He calls him also to die. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, now follow me. There are many truly, truly's in the gospel of John. If you're a King James Uh, Person, You'll know it as verily, verily. And this is the last, truly, truly. This is the last verily, verily. You said you would die for me, Peter. And die you will. You said you would die for me. And die you will. Right now you are strong. You're able to dress yourself as you did when you were on the boat. And it appears that there is nothing that you cannot do. But the Lord Jesus was teaching Simon Peter that without Christ, he can do nothing. There will come a time when you will glorify God by making good on your profession. You will die. What would you think if this prophecy came to you? What would your response be? It appears to be an awful prophecy, does it not? History and tradition informs us that Simon Peter was killed, he was crucified. And he requested to be crucified upside down, not feeling worthy of being crucified like his maker. But I think if I were Simon Peter, I might be somewhat encouraged. How? How could you be encouraged by knowing you're going to die? Because it would be affirmation to me from Christ. You're going to make it to the end. Yes, you love me. You do. You're weak, you're frail, but you will persevere until the end. You will stand strong and you will die because your love for me, albeit weak, albeit unstable, it is true. And you do love me. Simon Peter was being fully restored, but he was not yet fully sanctified, was he? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one whom... Lean back against Christ. And here's his response when he sees John following him. Lord, what about him? The Lord had just said, feed my sheep, you will die. What about him? Isn't that what you and I would have done? The Lord commands Peter, none of your business. You follow me. I'll do whatever I want with him. That is nothing to you. You follow me. And what was John doing following them anyways? Think about that. What was John the apostle doing following them anyways? He was living up to his reputation. He just could not stay away from Jesus. He loved him so. And also, if you were going to write a book, you would also want to know what was happening in that conversation, would you not? What about him? Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. So it is for us, brothers and sisters. You're running a race right now, are you not? We're all striving for the same goal, but at different paces, different challenges, different successes along the ways that are all ordained and ordered by God. Keep your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. We are all headed toward the same, by the grace of God, the same destination. But my pace is not yours. My maturity is not yours. You are in your own lane. So stay in your lane. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You might die the way the country is headed. But the way you will glorify God in death. As I said to my, my beloved wife last night, the way that we glorify God in death is by being ready for death when it comes. The way that we glorify God in death is by being ready for death when it comes. And the beloved disciple clears up a misconception even about himself that he would not die. The The, the saying went on that John was never going to die. And you would think as the second century rolls around and we're going into 100 AD and John's still kicking. John's not going to die. John said, But Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And so the gospel ends. <laughs> this is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know his testimony is true. Listen to this. Now there are many other things that Jesus did for every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You can only appreciate that last verse if you've actually worked your way through the entire book as we have done for the past two years and one month. September 9th, 2014, we began this glorious book. And today... We conclude this marvelous Holy Spirit inspired book. And it is a bittersweet ending for me. Though I am joyful that we have completed this entire book, I'm going home sad this morning. My soul has been fed by this book. And many, most of the theologically formative moments have taken place as we have studied through this book. But John leaves us with this encouragement in that we can never truly come to the end in the matter of God. We can never truly come to the end. We could not exasperate all that could be said in loving and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We could never unearth the depths of the riches that are found in Christ Jesus. Could we? No. What do you take away from the Gospel of John? John? I pray that you take away for God so loved the world that he mercifully and graciously came and saved the sinners who were undeserving of mercy. We who rebelled and sinned against him. He came and he lived a life that we could not live. Died a death that we deserved. That he came and though he died, death could not hold him. That he rose from the dead. And that he restores those who have denied and rejected him. He restores them to health. And he calls them to serve, to feed, to lay down their life and die. And to trust that death will be worth every single moment of eternity. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let us stand. Lord, it is to the end that we come this morning. And as one side of me feels that it is the end, I know that there is a scary journey of really just the beginning that is ahead. God, would you be with us as we journey through the book of Esther? Would you be with us as we journey through the book of Jonah? Be with us, God, as we journey through the book of Malachi and the book of Habakkuk. And Lord, as we ultimately come after those to the book of Acts, would you be with the elders as we prepare and as we pray? Would you be with the congregation as they listen and as they they pass on that which is heard as they do their own feeding? God, thank you for the marvelous time, the the marvelous two years of growth, sanctification that you have worked in us through this wonderful, marvelous book. And now, Lord, we come to your table. We celebrate the redemption that has been accomplished, redemption that has been applied, and redemption that will one day soon be consummated in the kingdom as we celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb with the Lamb that was slain.